You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hey everybody, welcome back to Stocks and Sandals. This is your host, Mike Savala, and today we are going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, so I'm excited for it. Um, But before we get into that, I have to introduce my co-host here, DJ Brown. Um, Hi dude, man. It feels like it's been forever since we've done an interview. It does feel like forever. It's been nice not seeing you so often. Yeah, I agree completely. (laughs) <laughs> and I like how you said you have to introduce me like I'm just a footnote in your uh, <laughs> podcasting journey. Yeah, it's here. a con- contractual thing. <laughs> we actually know, I, I know very well that uh, I am very much second uh, to our guest here today yeah, to you because sure. I know how important or, or how interested you are in this subject. But I'm also super interested in this subject, really excited to learn more about it. Um, so today we have on Justin Wright, and Justin is a member of our Stock Dads community. Uh, you may have seen his Lamborghini pop up on our uh, Facebook page and and all that kind of stuff. And and Justin is a real estate investor. Um, so he gets in and owns a whole bunch of properties. I'm not even going to try and pretend to introduce you properly. So I'm going to pass it over <laughs> to you, Justin, in just a second to introduce yourself but before I do, uh, I feel like I got to get something uh, off my chest here, Mike. And, and you don't know about this yet. Um, well, uh, okay. I'm just kidding. You know about it, but I'm pretending you don't. <laughs> Funny purposes. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll sell this really well. Go ahead. Okay. This episode is sponsored. We have a sponsor. <laughs> we have a sponsor. Uh, yes. What? Um, yeah, so one of my uh, one of my good friends out in this uh, Northwest Indiana area is basically having some pity on us, um, nice. <laughs> throwing, <laughs> throwing us a little bit of a bone uh, to sponsor this episode. So this episode is actually sponsored by Enigenberg Inspection. So it actually is super fitting because we're talking about real estate investing, and what Enigenberg Inspection does is they are home inspectors. So I mean. I'm going to read you a little spiel here uh, as, as though I'm pitching a commercial because I just think it's going to be more natural unless I try and talk about yeah, it. This so. is going to be our last sponsor ever based off. <laughs> yeah, of they're going to hear this and be like, so never <laughs> letting them sponsor us. Okay. Um, one of the biggest investments we can all make is our homes. <laughs> Mike's cringing so hard right now. <laughs> uh, if you're in the market or currently shopping for a new home, make sure you hire a licensed and experienced home inspector to help you ensure that you're making an educated investment on your new purchase. I do. What? Oh, how did you do? Um, yeah, it was, yeah it was not it was not very good. <laughs> not very good. Justin's being nice, and Mike is being a typical jerk self. You know, if, if this doesn't work out, I, th- I think you've got a TV personality ready for. for <laughs> Thank you. I, I have. You know, we've mentioned before that I have a face for radio. So, yeah. um, <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, we got that out of the way. Thank you very much, Phil Enigenberg, for throwing us that pity sponsorship. We appreciate yeah, it. But if you're in the Northwest awesome. Indiana area and you're buying a home you should definitely look at enigenberginspection.com. I will put it in the show notes uh, because I'm not even going to try and spell his last name. Um, it just is what it is. So go check out our show notes. Check out Phil and his company, Enigenberg Inspection. With that said, all right, Justin, tell us about yourself, what you do, and what the heck you're here to talk to us about. I'm here to talk about real estate investing. Um, started buying rental properties about 10 years ago now. Um, <clears throat> I used to teach tennis and I, I shattered my heel and kind of had to come up with a plan B because it was hard to hard to teach tennis with a broken foot. So <laughs> real estate investing was something that kind of always interested me. And I'd shopped it for a couple of years and ended up finding a deal that I liked that was a duplex. And um, we, we bought that property and 
and kept it for a couple of years to kind of make sure that what we thought it was going to be is what it turned out to be. Um, so we, we certainly went through our headaches with that one and um, terrible stories and, and all of the fun stuff that you hear about with real estate investing that you slowly learn with time to make changes to avoid. Um, and now it's, uh, like I said, it's been about 10 years and we have 78 rental properties now. Um, we occasionally do buy flips. We sold maybe 40 properties over that time, but most of what we buy, we plan to keep. That's awesome. So let me just like, you know, other than shattering your heel, which sounds horrible and realizing you needed a plan B, like, how did you, how do you get started in real estate investment? Like I, I've, I've wanted to do this and I just can't seem to figure out like how to take the first step. So like, what would you say is like the first step that you need to take when you start to get interested in stuff like this? Yeah, it seems like a big commitment, you know? Yeah, you know, it definitely is. It's one of those things that it can certainly go poorly if you if you make a bad investment. But um, some of the advice that I see on the, the Stock Dads group a lot is take emotion out of it, learn the charts, and it eventually becomes pretty simple. You know, you, you get, you figure out a game plan, and uh, maybe a rate of return that you're looking for or something along those lines, and you study the market long enough to where hopefully your first purchase is one that you're pretty confident in and, and turns out to be a good one. And the first purchase is definitely an important one um, because that one allows you to, to go forward. I talk to a lot of people that say, yeah, you know, I got into real estate investing and it didn't work out very well. And it's because they maybe bought a, a middle-of-the-road $200,000 house that rents for $1,000 a month and it's hard to come out ahead with a with a mediocre purchase. So um, if you if you study it enough, you eventually end up confident in that first deal, and you can't lose it all. You know, <laughs> you buy a property, it, it, it's still worth something. The land's worth something. So, well, that's good because uh, one of our previous episodes talking about options, there was the the term infinite loss uh, tossed around. So. <laughs> Let's stay. Away. I want to stay away from options and maybe <laughs> yeah, stay away from yeah. that term. <laughs> I actually invested in the stock market probably seven or eight years ago. Very new, very uninformed. It seemed like a good idea at the time, and infinite loss was something that I learned about whenever the money that I put in became a goose egg. So I know about <laughs> infinite loss. Ouch. Yep. Luckily, I didn't put in a lot, but it was still enough to to make me go. You know, I'm going to research this next time a little better. <laughs> Yeah, felt like a good idea at the time. Didn't work out the best. So I'll I, I'll give you a little bit of kind of background on where where I'm at. So I live out here in uh, Central Iowa, um, and my brother he's a realtor, and he works with a builder pretty closely. Um, so this is something that him and I have talked about before because I feel like there can be some barriers to entry getting into real estate investing or flipping houses or anything like that. That maybe not as applicable to my situation. Um, so I guess like what is, it sounds like you do mostly like rentals where you buy and hold, but what are some of the like, I guess drawbacks to that over flipping or some, you know, advantages to it over flipping? Um, so there's kind of three different options. There's, there's flipping, there's buy hold, which is primarily what we do. And then there's wholesalers. Um, wholesalers is definitely the lowest risk and it's also the lowest reward. Um, that's when somebody gets a, a property under contract with a contingency to get out of it if, if they're not able to find a buyer. So, so they find a seller and kind of make the connection and then get a commission in the middle. And if for some reason they're not able to find a buyer for that property, then they, then they back out and they don't have to worry about it. So they didn't end up with any cost out of pocket. They don't actually have to close on the property and spend the money. Um, you know, if you're flipping a house, the, the problem that I've always had with it is it's kind of a way to purchase yourself a job um, because you flip that house and then it's over. You made whatever money you're going to make from that deal and then now you're done. Whereas with a rental property, you get to keep it forever. Uh, a lot of tax advantages of it, you know, you can write off depreciation. Um, if you end up with a, a bank a loan against it, you can write off the interest, things like that. Um, I kind of focused on the buy and hold side of things because... I don't have a retirement plan. I don't have an IRA or a 401k or a traditional job. Um, so I thought, you know, if I can buy these properties and even just gain the equity during the time of the loans, by the time I'm of retirement age, I'll have these things paid off and then I can, I can keep the money from the rent. Um, 
But buying flipping is something that, that works really well for a lot of people. I would say it's even a more popular approach to real estate. Um, I, my biggest hang up with it was just I always, always knew that as soon as you stop, the income stops. Right. Um, but there's, there's definitely good money in it. And I think that's a good segue. One of the reasons that we've done a few buy flips was to raise some extra cash to invest in, in more rentals. Gotcha. So Mike kind of alluded to it with like, uh, the barriers to entry and stuff. So what are some things that like your average Joe, you know, like myself, who's not done any sort of real estate investing, what are some things that I would need to accomplish before I was even qualified to like some now I guess because I own a home and I, I guess I'm thinking like things like your credit score and things like your debt to income, you know, oh, what kind of stuff like that do, do our listeners need to basically be aware of before even thinking about starting to invest in real estate? Yeah. Um, obviously all of that stuff is really important. If you have a, a terrible credit score and no money, it makes it really hard to move forward from there. Um, you know, a, a decent income, some money set aside, something like that is all helpful. Um, right now, a lot of banks will loan um, just based on a good credit score and good income. So, you know, if, you're, if your taxes are good and you, you've got a decent paying job, it's easy to get a loan for the first one. Um, but all of those things are important. It's really hard if, you're, if your credit is, is heavily damaged or you truly don't have any cash to put up front. At that point, then you've got to try to find an investor or someone else that can put the cash up for you. Or that's where a lot of people get started with wholesaling. That's the benefit of that is you, you can you can do that with no money and, and bad credit. So um, you mentioned, you know, having cash to put up front. Uh, am I correct in the, in saying that, you know, like you want to try and avoid um, PMI uh, and that kind of stuff by putting up 20 percent or whatever? Or is it um, is it sometimes worth it to not put up 20 percent of your equity to have? a smaller down payment what does that down payment situation look like and what is your recommended strategy for uh, for down payments um pmi is, is definitely something to avoid when i can um a lot of banks won't even give loans on investment properties with pmi if you don't have the money down or it doesn't appraise strong enough for them to get at least 20 percent equity in the property um then a lot of banks won't do it so you know if you're buying a property and you're paying sixty thousand dollars for it, and the bank appraises it for a hundred. Then some of them, if you've got good enough credit and good enough income, they won't make you put anything down. They'll take that forty thousand dollars worth of equity and consider that the down payment. Um, but like I said a lot of banks won't do PMI. Um, you know, if you were if you're in a position to buy your first deal with cash or mostly cash, that would by far be the best position because then at that point you could implement what is now referred to as the Burr method. So you, you buy the property, um, maybe it needs some renovations. So you, so you make a few repairs, then you rent it, then you go to the bank and you say, hey, I've got this property, this is how much I have in it, and I want to get a loan against it. And the bank will have it appraised based on your upgrades. They'll give you whatever percentage that they will, usually 75 or 80% depending on the bank. And then now you have that money, have access to that money to go buy another one. Um, so that's definitely the best way to grow at, at a fast rate. Because if you if you have to get a, a mortgage on your very first property, then you don't really have any great place to go from there. You have to keep making purchases based on your income. And sometimes that's harder depending on the bank. We've had better luck with kind of small town banks um, loaning against rental properties. A lot of the bigger ones just won't do it. Um, so a quick question on um, what kind of deals you're looking for. You mentioned like, earlier getting like a $200,000 house and then charge in like a thousand bucks for rent or whatever. Like what kind of deals are you looking for? Like, how do you know what's a good deal or what's going to be profitable? Um, so 1% of rent per month of the purchase price of the property is kind of a basic rule of thumb. Anything lower than that you want to avoid. So if you buy a hundred thousand dollar house that rents for a thousand dollars a month, that's at least in the ballpark to, to be considered. Um, anything that is 2% per month of rent, oftentimes too good to be true. There are occasionally markets that that works out, but usually they're 
they're areas that aren't great to invest in. They're depreciating really quickly. Um, you have a lot of turnover of your tenants. So, you know, you might rent it, you might buy it for a hundred thousand and rent it for $2,000 a month. And then that tenant will move out and it'll sit empty for three months. So your 2% now is quickly dropping to one or below. Um, so there's, there's definitely some other factors. It's always nice to try to buy something that will appreciate with time or maybe doesn't need a lot of renovation. Uh, so you don't have to worry about it kind of eating you alive on repairs with time. But somewhere in the, a good rule of thumb, and, and obviously there's no specific guideline you have to follow, but a good rule of thumb is something in that window. Um, a lot of banks will loan on a property if it is one and a quarter percent monthly rent of the purchase price. So that's kind of what banks look for. Um, but there are certain deals where 1% is good. If maybe you know something's going in that area in the future and going to increase the value and five years from now would be worth a lot more than you put into it or something. Um, and and if, you can, if you happen to find some of those markets, they do exist. If you happen to find some that pay 2% per month, those are gold. So when you're, when you're looking for um, properties to invest in and, you know, you, you mentioned kind of this – percentage that you're looking for for rent and that kind of stuff but like obviously it's got some part to do with how much you have to invest and but like what price range of a home or property are you typically looking for like i I mean because like everywhere you go there's really upper scale homes and like you know these 400 500 homes or more there's you know you're probably average American homes, depending on where you live, they cost different, but there's that mid range. And then there's like the, the low bottom of the barrel properties that probably are not in the best areas, need a lot of work. Where have you typically found the most success? And like, I guess, what are the target properties that you typically look for? Are you looking for kind of that low range, mid range, upper range? Does it vary? It definitely varies. Um, whenever I first got started and didn't have extra capital to do renovations, I was looking for kind of the lower mid-range that also didn't need a lot of renovation because um, I just I couldn't afford to fix it if it did need it. Um, now, the majority of the stuff we buy is stuff that needs major renovation, and part of that is because nobody else wants it, so competition is lower. And part of it is because if you purchase a property that's in awful condition, and you renovate everything, knowing that it's a good area and will be valuable when you're done, then you know that from a rental standpoint, everything's been replaced. So you just put a new roof on. Well, now you know the roof's good for 30 years. You just put a new HVAC in, 10-year warranty, new plumbing, electric floors, all of the stuff that you have to worry about, kind of nickel and domino over the life of the property. You know that you just put in brand new, so you don't have to worry about it for a while. Um, but as far as, you know, I've, I've not really found any success in the the higher end homes single family homes and buy a four hundred thousand dollar house you just have to rent that for so much money that most people are most people in a position to buy a four hundred thousand dollar house or to rent it rather are also in a position to buy it you know you've got to rent it for six or seven thousand dollars a month to justify the purchase and anybody who makes that kind of money could just purchase the house themselves so i would say the the lower to lower middle has been most profitable for us um, but we've bought some, you know, we've made some, some more expensive purchases, but they were in bulk or apartments or things like that. Um, but yeah, the, so, somewhere in that range is, is usually best. Yeah, that makes sense. The, uh, another quick question on that same kind of, uh, path is, so you're in the central Indiana area, right? Central Kentucky. Oh, central Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. Um, so do you typically look for properties in your area where you're like physically present? Do you kind of venture out and look anywhere in the U S I mean, uh, cause I know there are different areas that are kind of like hotbeds for rental properties and that kind of stuff. And I guess what's your feeling on needing to be able to go physically check on a place versus, you know, maybe having, I don't know, a, a management group or something which we can talk about in a few minutes but what what's your thought on that like being right there or looking anywhere yeah yeah that's a great question um we started off buying stuff local because of just that comfort somehow it brings you some sort of peace of mind to be driving to work in the morning and drive past your rental property and know it's still standing um so we first started buying stuff in this area uh now i haven't bought anything in central kentucky since 2014 
Um, this, this is a, it's a good area for flipping properties. Here is I've actually I'm closing on one next week. That'll be a flip. Um, but it's a tough area to buy from a rental standpoint because things are bringing solid money. So I'm definitely comfortable buying out of town at this point. Um, again, it, it takes a little bit more courage to get started with that because there's something about being hands-on that you just, you always want to do. Um, but man, part of the reason it's gotten easier is with time, we've kind of made some acquaintances and maybe built some teams and, and gotten to know some people elsewhere that I can say, Hey, you know, I'm interested in this property. Could you swing by and look at it for me? And you know, it's somebody that you maybe give a commission if the deal works out or every once in a while, somebody that you just, you know, you happen to know that's a friend that, that will stop by and look at it for you and you buy them dinner next time you see him, whatever it is. But, um, you know, you definitely have to have to expand your market in some situations and certain markets are, are better set up for certain investments. So like I said, Central Kentucky is good for flips, not great for rentals right now. Um, but 10 years ago, it was great for rentals as well. So you just kind of have to look and see what suits, um, you know, kind of the area that you're in. I think if you were in Southern California, it'd be really hard to find a decent rental property, but probably a good place to be a realtor or a flipper. Is it something just as easy as Googling this stuff? Like, I mean, like, how do you find out what areas are good for what? Like, how do you do that kind of research? Um, you know, there's a lot of really good resources online now. And as much uh, as much people hate on it, uh, Zillow is actually really helpful. Zillow tells you, you know, their, their estimates of property values maybe isn't the most accurate thing. But you can still check sold properties on, on the map. And it will just show you from the top view, hey, these are all properties that sold. And you can click them and do your own research. Zillow also estimates what it would rent for. And it, it's usually pretty accurate. Um, there's another website called Rentometer or Rentometer that I use too. Um, and then now at this point, you know, most of the areas we invest in, I just kind of know what it'll rent for. Um, but yeah, you can find most of the information like that online. Um, you know, Zillow will tell you estimated property taxes and it's usually pretty close. You can, most PVA websites are for the county are also online. So you can get on there and see. Uh, but Zillow does a, a really good job of giving you the information that you that you would want, and then you would just kind of compare it to some of those ratios you're looking for. Of hey, Zillow thinks this is a three hundred thousand dollar house that rent for eight hundred dollars a month. I'm going to pass on that one, and it's usually pretty accurate. So, it, at the stage you're at, I would imagine you know you have so many properties that you have to have some kind of like management company help with like keeping tenants in them and stuff like that. Um, but say like if I were to go out and get a rental property to start with, like, would you suggest a management company or anything like that at the initial stages or like when's a good time frame to start looking into like help with that stuff? Yeah, um, we we managed them ourselves until we had 26 properties. Um, at 26, it started to become just a full time job. I was constantly running. There was always something you renovated. Uh, text at three o'clock in the morning of somebody who flushed something down the toilet they shouldn't have all the fun stuff um i everybody that i've talked to that that has gotten started um, i always tell them to manage it themselves if they can you know if it if it's far away um or you're really busy with work or something obviously that makes it tougher but if you can manage your first few yourselves just to get a good idea that really helps a lot because then that way when the time comes for you to pick a property manager at the end of the month or, or year you get your bills you get to look over it and make sure that they're treating you fair and that they're not tacking on all these crazy charges mm -hmm. um so we we managed ours until we had 26 properties and, and kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back on not managing them ourselves anymore and quit being cheap was um we we missed out on a deal that we would have made about twenty thousand on on a flip and I missed it because I was meeting with a potential tenant to rent that property. I was like, man, if we had property management, I would have been free to, to find this deal and buy it. Now it's gone. And that would have paid for our property management for the whole year. Um, so property management has been one of the best decisions that we have made. Um, they get better deals on, on materials and, and labor. Um, they do a really good job. They pick better tenants. We were, me and my business partner, Saxon, we both came from a background of working on and, and flipping cars. That was actually how we met. And we both, you know, we would, we would go to sell a car and we'd want 10000 for it and somebody would make us an offer of 9000 And if we wanted that, you'd take the money and, you, and you're done. The deal's over and you, you get to go on. Well, we were bad about doing that with rental property. So a tenant would come by and say, yeah, I'm interested in renting this. Here's your $1,000 for the month. And we'd say, sweet, and go on. And they didn't pay again. 
Um, and you end up in a position where it's like, oh, man, we probably should have put them through some sort of better questionnaire or, or something. And, and our, our property management does a great job of background checks and, um, you know, checking for prior evictions and all of that kind of stuff. So they pick much better tenants, which in the end plays a big role. So one of the big, like, you know, I guess enticing factors about real estate investment, or at least everything that I've heard about it is, you know, everybody throws this term passive income around, you know, like it's, it's supposedly passive and stuff like that from like, from the sounds of it. I mean, it, it's not entirely passive. So I, I just would like, you know, I guess to give our listeners a realistic expectation, like, you know, if just because you, you know, buy a property and rent it out, doesn't mean like you're just going to be sitting there making money and, you know, like you don't have to do anything at that point. Right. So can you just kind of give us a, like those first 26 properties that you were managing yourself, like what kind of stuff were you having to do? Um, how often, like how big of a headache was it? How hard was it to get this to the point where now it may be a little more passive for you because you have the property management, you know, and that kind of stuff. But also on, I guess on the flip side, you have like three times as many properties. So maybe it's less passive. I don't know. Just talk a little bit more about that. Um, it's definitely more passive, even with this many properties with property management. than it was even managing them ourselves with eight or 10 properties. Um, you know, it was, like I said, there was just always somebody to meet with. Um, you know, you always had a property maybe that was sitting vacant, and you would go meet potential tenants and you'd get there and it'd be somebody that was just a train wreck. And you say, all right, I'm not renting to them. Now this was a wasted hour, you know, time you drive there and unlock the place and get everything ready to show. Um, you definitely get your share of calls from poor decision-making on the tenant's part. And then some of it just happens to be bad luck. I mean, some of the things that we've had happens is fascinating to me that that was ever a consideration on the renter's part. Um, but that's just part of it. Um, but it's, it's, I wouldn't consider it to be passive income. I mean, if you, you know, like Mike was talking about earlier, if you work with a builder and, and you, you, your rental property is a brand new property, then that's probably pretty passive. You probably don't have to have to fool with it too much or, or deal with it a whole lot. Um, but anytime you buy something used, there's always going to be issues pop up. People will abuse things and make it worse. You know, over time we've, there's certain things that I've found you just can't hardly have in a, in a cheaper rental property, especially like a garbage disposal. I mean, people would just stick anything in one of those. <laughs> um, so, but now with our property management, we have, we have two, we actually work with one property management company that has multiple locations. Um, we started off with two property management teams and one of them didn't work out. Um, and, but this one's been great. And it really is during the times that we're not trying to grow or find new deals, or meeting with investors or bankers or something like that. It really is a, it's a pretty hands-off approach for us now with, with property management. So I have, a, I have a quick question on how you go about snowballing your income with these. Because I'm thinking about it, you know, you get a property and you've got the mortgage and you've got the rent coming in. Like, I guess I'm just having trouble seeing like what kind of... I guess your margins are and how you can snowball that. It doesn't seem like something where, you know, if I went out and bought a rental property tomorrow and got a good tenant, would I be making like 200 bucks off of the rent? You know, are you like paying off your earlier properties with the new ones you're getting or um, I don't know. I feel like I'm not asking this question well, but how do you snowball your earnings to focus on more growth? Um, that's a great question. The, the best way for us to grow has been a combination of two things. Um, one of them has been the properties that we have. If we buy it for 50000 and put 10000 into it, now we've got sixty grand in it and, and we go to a bank and the bank has it appraised for a hundred, and the bank will give us 80% of that. So they give us $80,000. So now we just pocketed 20. So we take that 20 and we put that towards the next one. Um, and then the way that's allowed us to grow bigger and faster with time has been private investors. Um, you know, we, we offer a variety of different investor options. Um, and one of them is, is 8% interest for 10 years, which a lot of people take us up on. Um, and then that allows us to go buy more properties go back to the bank and say, hey, we've got these properties that we own free and clear. We want to borrow against them. 
Um, so then the bank loans this money for us to for us to go again. But it ends up becoming kind of an exponential growth type of thing because it, it took us way longer to acquire the first 20 properties than it did to acquire the last 50 even. Um, it, it really starts to grow once you get going. In terms of margins, varies a lot on the deal. I mean, you know, we've got some deals that maybe was a, that I felt like was a good purchase long-term, was a pretty nice house that maybe I didn't think would be much headache, that after all bills and expenses, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, property management, repairs, vacancies, all of that stuff, maybe only makes 150, 200 bucks a month. We've also bought some other ones that maybe make six or $700 a month. Um, so it definitely varies a lot depending on the deal um, and, and the market that you're in. Um, but one of the things that's really been helpful is the, the equity that you're gaining every month. So, you know, you, you get all these loans on your books Well, this month goes by and all of a sudden you just gained, you know, $30,000 worth of equity or whatever it happens to be as you grow. Um, and then at some point those loans will come to an end and then that's when you're really in a good position. Sure. Um, so you mentioned investors, how do you go about finding investors? Like, is it just friends you know that like are in a position where they can invest some or is there another kind of route you can go to find people that you know are willing to invest i would say that has been the hardest part of this uh, business has been finding private investors and um you know the old saying like begets like it, it as it turns out the better we do the more people want to invest uh so mm -hmm. it started off with us you know begging people to give us some money we'd give them way more interest than they could earn anywhere else and they're like eh. I don't know about you guys, but um, now, now as we grow, it, you know, we have people come to us and say, hey, I hear that you guys pay, you know, 8% for 10 years or that you do a portion of profit on equity. You know, what what kind of options are there? And most of the time, it's somebody with a, uh, what is the term for that? A, a self-controlled IRA or, or something like that. They basically have a retirement option that they can invest themselves without having to pay taxes on. And then oftentimes it's maybe somebody with like an inheritance that they received um you know what one of them was actually just a friend and uh, he's he's managing a family member's money that's a an older family member that was earning 1.8 percent or something and and something really minor so he invested her money with us to to help her earn a, a, a better rate of return a variety of things like that yeah what you're talking about is it's self self-directed brokerage account i believe and uh, the only reason I know that is because I just started working with uh, my best friend, or our best friend, who's also second best friend. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely above you. No, I'm just um, he's a financial planner and asked me if I had one of those and all that kind of stuff. And so, self-directed brokerages account is a, exactly what you would just you just explained, Justin. So, for our listeners, like it's probably something you'll have to ask your employer if they offer that as a an option on on your 401k or whatever if it allows you to kind of take those um those funds and place them where you want to so sorry to interrupt i just wanted to talk about that a little bit more because i think that's a helpful nugget of knowledge for people to understand if they have that option or not yeah yeah i'm glad you cleared that up because i couldn't i was drawing a blank i could not remember what it's called <laughs> i personally don't have one people talk to me about it and i'm like Are you i don't either unfortunately i don't either but <laughs> yeah. uh the people that do that's a nice perk so when you're looking for a job or you're looking through your uh your benefits that's a that's a nice perk because you have a little bit more control over um you know where your investments are going throughout the year so pretty cool yeah. Yeah. And if you do have one of those, that would be a great way to uh, start investing yourself in real estate if you've, if you've got access to that. So um, when you like, could I use my own home, like my, a home equity loan to get started on something like this? Is that possible? Like, I don't know how, I guess I'm just trying to think like for me, I don't have, you know, a, a huge down payment laying around um you know i'm still new to investing all that kind of stuff like I, i've got some savings and stuff but like I, I mean i'm trying right now to save for a down payment for my own upgrade of a home and my own goals so like getting that initial chunk you know that you need like you mentioned you know do you think like home equity loans are a solid way to to do that do you think that's risky do you think it's a smart approach what I guess, how do you recommend coming up with that first uh, first chunk from your perspective? 
Um, a home equity loan is definitely a good idea if you, if you have access to it. The only kind of downside to it is, you know, an equity line, as you as I'm sure you know, is not really meant to be tied up long term. Um, so your kind of options with that are, are a couple of different options. You could use it for flips and then that way you get the money back. You pay your equity loan, loan back down to zero and then you still have access to that for the next one. Or you could use that money, like I said earlier, for, for the, the Burr method um, and you, you would buy a property but your property would technically not have a lien against it at that point because you bought it with your home equity loan money. And then you could go to the bank and say, hey, I own this property with no liens against it. How much will you give me for it kind of thing? They basically sell it to the bank. They'll give you the money back for you to either keep investing or if it was a great deal, maybe you can um, pay your home equity loan back off and keep investing and keep that equity line open. But yeah, equity lines are, are really valuable anytime you can have access to them. It's one of those things that I recommend everybody get an equity line against their house if they have it because you don't have to use it. So usually for a pretty small fee, you can pay the closing cost. You know, I mean, I say small fee, 1500 bucks or so. You can pay the closing cost and just have access to an equity line. And then they'll basically say, all right, you've got 40000 in equity in your house. Here's a checkbook. Go nuts. And you can use that for whatever you want. That, that's definitely a good option for getting started. Um, and then another option for getting started is, you know, kind of what we did is we, I searched for about two years before I found the deal that I was happy with. Um, and it was a good enough deal that whenever the time came to, to mention it to investors, um, you know, it, it was, it was easier. It was an easier pitch to say, Hey, you know, we're buying this property for $70,000. It's got two tenants in it and it's renting for 1400 or 1350. I think is what it was at the time. That was a pretty easy thing for them to kind of gain confidence in. Okay, you know, I, I feel like this will get my money back pretty easily. Um, and then that way we went and leveraged that one. It appraised for quite a bit more and, and, and bought a couple with that money and, and continued. So anytime, I've always said anytime you have a good enough deal, there's somebody out there that wants to invest with it and wants to be a part of that deal. So I had a quick question um, in regards to flipping. I listened to, I forget what the podcast was. There's a, there's a pretty popular podcast that talks about real estate investing, um, but they were talking about different ways that you could flip a house. Mm -hmm. Is there, in your experience, like, is there a way, I know one thing they'd suggested was like, you'd pop the roof off and like add a second story. Um, is there a way that you found for flipping that is, you know, more effective or is that going to kind of depend on the area? You know, I'd say it probably does depend on the area a little bit. Um, most of the stuff that we have, have had the best luck with flipping has been the properties that we found maybe an off market deal. So there weren't a lot of people trying to get it yet because they didn't know about it and that it needed just the basics for renovation. Um, you know, paint, flooring, that kind of stuff. Not really had good looking properties that were a major overhaul because you can always count on spending more on the renovation than you plan. You may do a walkthrough and think, all right, I'm going to spend, you know, 25000 renovating this and then you get your first bill and it's that much already and you're halfway done. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the most successful flips that we've had have been the stuff that just required the basic work. But I'm sure there are definitely areas that would benefit from adding more square footage or, or certain expansions. Um, you know, to kind of make it more, more appealing. A, a lot of, uh, a lot of houses in like older neighborhoods and historic districts, they've become kind of functionally obsolete, um, where they maybe are a four bedroom house with one bathroom. Um, so that may be a place where trying to add another bathroom or even like a master suite or something. Um, but you, it is a little bit more of an undertaking because there's so much renovation involved in that. Even like you were talking about adding a second story, unless you've got some really good connections, that's an expensive move to make. And it, it's uh, you need to be pretty confident that it's going to be worth it in the end. So kind of going off the same question, and this is kind of, I guess, a two part question. But um, when you're flipping a house, like what's your evaluation process or your, you know, like your thought process when deciding uh, what changes need to be made, what changes don't need to be made, like what upgrades you are going to make? Like, let's say, for example, you go and you buy a house or a, a rental property that like the kitchen's just not super upgraded. Maybe the counters aren't in great shape and you're thinking, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, upgrade the counters here. What, I guess, how would you determine like granite versus, you know, uh, whatever the other options are? I don't know. But like, how do you like your cost benefit analysis type of a deal? Like, how do you determine like this will pay off 
like this will make me this much money if I do this, or this is not worth it because it's not going to give me enough of a return. And then the second part of this question is taste and like uh, the way a house looks aesthetically is so subjective. Um, Like something that looks really good to me might not look good to somebody else. And there's like trends that like come and go like the, you know, shiplap is like, you know, this huge thing right now or like gray and whites and, you know, gray floors and all that kind of stuff. Whereas like six months from now, it could be like, you know, the, you know, the browns and the beiges and all that kind of stuff could be back in. It's basically whatever the influencers are, (laughs) you know, pitching at that time. So like when you're flipping a house, how do you make those decisions? How do you, I mean, you just look at other properties in the area, see what, what's out there. Like what, what's your process for all that? Um, we pretty much just always do what we think Chip and Joanna Gaines would do. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Probably a good strategy. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> um, yeah, we, uh, you know, we usually just work with a realtor on that kind of thing. We'll maybe have her come in uh, and, and look through the property and ask her what upgrades that she thinks would be worth it. Obviously, if it's something that is going to cost us a dollar and only make us a dollar, it's not worth doing. You don't gain any ground with that. Um, most of the time, I've found that the the more expensive upgrades are never worth it. A, a really nice granite, maybe a cheaper granite sometimes, but you can do a lot to a, a kitchen, for example, with paint. Uh, a lot of times you go in, you think, oh, this kitchen is just awful, and you throw a coat of paint on it. Um, and even that, you know, they've got like those uh, countertop resurface kits that gives them like a faux granite look. A lot of that kind of stuff does end up being worth it, but it certainly depends on the quality of the home. You know, if you're if you're trying to flip something that's really upper end, people are going to expect upper end um, materials inside the house. But most of the flips that we've done have been more the the lower middle, and um, and certainly our our realtor plays a big role in in what kind of advice she thinks you know that we should we should follow on a property like that. And so far, she's done a good job. Every once in a while, she'll make a recommendation. I'll think. That sounds ridiculous. I do not want a bright red front door. And then at closing, whenever we're selling the property, we're like, what do you like about the house? All oh, the curb appeal. That red door looked great. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's probably be- definitely best to trust the realtor. That's a, that's that's good feedback. That makes a lot of sense. So like with using a realtor, like you say you do, I mean, that obviously comes with a cost. Have you tried, this is more just like a fun question. Have you tried to do it without a realtor and just like miserably failed? Or have you like, uh, you know, tried to make updates that like a realtor suggested you didn't and like regretted it? Like what's your biggest, I guess, how home flipping regret? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I can't think of anything in particular that I've done and afterward just thought, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> um, you know, fortunately I learned early these realtors definitely know more than I do in terms of what appeals to people. Um, my girlfriend, we first started dating, she came in my house and, and later on she admitted to me that my house was a 100% bachelor pad. Um, <laughs> and she tells me that, uh, that my taste in home renovations and decor is not the best. I pretty much just whatever color is neutral and decent goes on all the walls everywhere. And that's me. And if I want there to be an arcade game in my living room, that makes sense. Let's do that. Um, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> sounds so, awesome to me. That sounds like my dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I do these things, and as it turns out, most people don't want them in their homes. Um, but uh, so I, I really don't have any. Fortunately, I, I decided to take advice of uh, people smarter than me early on with those things, and I, I can't think of any advice that my that any of my realtors have given me that afterward I was like, "You're crazy. That was a terrible idea." They they usually just know better than I do. That's good. That's good advice to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you because they can only bring you up. That's that's yeah. good. Yeah, DJ's been doing it for years. <laughs> Shut up, Mike. <laughs> you, you, Is this with the see? friend that he was talking about earlier? That's his real <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, we're talking about Andy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is definitely Andy, not Mike. Mike is very much below my level. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, so I guess, I mean, you're not going to be able to give us everything we need to know in this, you know, 45 minute, you know, interview or whatever, but do you have like ideas or suggestions for places we could go to, you know, learn more if we're interested in this or, you know, 
places we could go to look at first steps to take or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's, again, that's the fortunate thing about the internet age. There's a, there's a ton of information available. Most of it is terrible. Um, <laughs> however, you occasionally find those golden nuggets, like, yeah. like the stocks and sandals podcast that are, that are sneaking up. <laughs> and, um, golden nuggets <laughs> might be a strong term for, well, we're, we're for working, the podcast. Right? Yeah. There's yeah. another yeah. one of those pity compliments that we get all the time. <laughs> yeah. People feel, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're going to, we're going to talk again in, in a few months and there's going to be 10 sponsors and you guys aren't even going to know what to do with them. <laughs> Man, that would be the um, dream. That would be awesome. Hope so yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> you're, you're, you're heading in that trajectory. Maybe um, you're going to be one of our sponsors next. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. on, you on air, and I, now you now you're plugged in. Like I, I'm putting you on the spot. No, I'm just kidding. All of our listeners <laughs> are going to be listening. High got pressure no sales now. technique. <laughs> yeah, the good news is, is people can't see me. So if this turns out terrible and no one wants to listen to it, I'll say that was not me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, there there. Different yeah. Justin, right? I don't know. <laughs> um. But yeah, back to your question. Um, Bigger Pockets is a really good place to go. Um, BiggerPockets.com. Is that, Tons is that of great the podcast? There, there, podcast? Yes, there is, yeah, there is, that's the podcast, podcast I was talking about before. Um, yeah, yeah Bigger Pockets <laughs> is great. There's uh, there's all kinds of awesome people on there. There's a lot of charts and graphs and stuff that you can use. So you can go on there and they, they have property evaluators. You know, we started, I, I made my own property evaluator, um, Microsoft Excel. It's just this generic. If somebody saw it, they'd make fun of me, but it works for me. And, you know, now Bigger Pockets has all these great resources that people can use. They've got a, a book club. Uh, actually have one of their books sitting here. Um, they, they just have everything, including a really good podcast. Um, my favorite real estate source, and, and maybe it's personal preference, is a, is a podcast by a guy named Joe Fairless, and it's called The Best Real Estate Investing Podcast Ever. It's, it's like a super just generic name. <laughs> but they have, a, they have a podcast every single day and have for like 2,000-something days now. Like literally every day there is a real estate podcast. They're short and sweet. Show off. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm disgusted Jeez. right now with all of this yeah. podcast. Talk. I'm going to send though. an invoice to Bigger Pockets <laughs> and to this Joe Fairless yeah. guy. Like they're they're going to hear from me in their 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 inbox yeah. real soon. Yeah, I was going to say we we should we're going to need to email them, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're you know the thing is because they do it every day, their their quality is really fading. I mean, like, <laughs> oh, no, there you go. There, that's what we like. Nowhere to near hear. the quality of the socks and sandals podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're trying to find real estate advice, it's the best that's out there, but it's it's definitely nowhere near this level. Um, there you yeah, go. It's, there it's you. a really Thank good you. podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, he actually lives in Cincinnati, which is, is convenient. That's that's kind of close to where I'm at. Um, he's written some good books. Joe Farrow's has a lot of really helpful advice, and then. Of course, obviously, the big names that have all made it, Robert Kiyosaki and those guys, they all have good information. Um, anybody who's just getting started out in anything financial and really hasn't researched it at all, I always recommend Kiyosaki. I, I think he's brilliant. Um, but there's certainly a lot of good options. Like I said, Zillow's a great place whenever the time comes for you to start researching. Um, you know, you can you can go on Zillow and find a property. And if you don't have any idea if you think it's a good investment, Go to Picker Pockets and go to one of their uh, their charts and their their resources that they have there and input all the numbers and it'll pretty much just tell you is this a good decision or not. Um, and you you can definitely learn a lot that way for sure. And then of course there's there's real estate seminars. Um, the Bigger Pockets seminar is a good one. It got canceled this year because of COVID. Um, but there's you know most real most cities decent sized cities. I'm, I'm not sure about Iowa. Never been to Iowa. Um, I <laughs> Des Moines. Des Moines oh decent size. Okay, Mike. Don't, don't, don't even get, get Mike me started. Don't get Mike started on Iowa. <laughs> Iowa's the, the like promised God's land. Gift to Earth, yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Mike, man, it's, it's like I've never heard anybody talk about a state so much. If I love it here, man. People will come. That's all I know about. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so any decent sized city, um, you know, you can get on Facebook and a lot of them have a, a real estate investment group and most of them meet once a month. It's a good way to, to make a lot of connections and meet property managers, contractors, realtors, about anybody that you can think of. Wholesalers, you know, we've made some connections with wholesalers over the years and, and some of those are really good to work with and they'll they'll find a deal and just call and say, hey, you, you know, you're interested in this at this price. And um, the, the connections has played a big role for sure going forward and 
Uh, but bigger pockets is a really good place. To yeah, I've um, I've seen some like uh, like little picket signs on the side of the road at red lights, uh, like all around my area, like with chicken scratch handwriting on it that say like learn learn to buy and sell real estate call this number and uh, i'm always like this is luring me to get murdered somewhere like i'm <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna go i'm gonna call this person meet them somewhere and be stabbed so yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah have you ever they, have you ever taken that approach to try and find investors or <laughs> the the chicken scratch um, on the side of the road or you take a more refined approach really quick before um you you don't see that here in Iowa, actually, DJ. So oh my gosh! Just, of course you don't. Just you know. Do you, do you think that because the, the the seven people there don't have the markers? And <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I haven't tried that approach. Um, any, anytime I see one of those, I always think I'm going to call this place, and they're going to tell me to meet them in a basement somewhere. And I'm not <laughs> so, exactly. So I feel like most of those have a very "come join my cult" vibe, and I'm just not there yet. Maybe someday. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you said that. I was I was hoping I wasn't like calling out your strategy, like <laughs> making fun of it. Uh, no, that's good. Yeah, because those always freak me out a little bit, and I will never call somebody like that. So if you're listening. Yeah maybe not the best approach uh for those of us who are looking to do it and there's a chance that it is and and, and it's been a missed opportunity for all of us maybe maybe i should be calling these numbers um, yeah right maybe I'm it's like the bigger pocket ceo is like trying yeah. to get us, give us Mass free info and like, yeah, yeah nope i'm gonna drive past this yeah yeah we're all blowing it off and <laughs> so all right we got to wrap up here pretty soon but I, I want to talk about the Lambo, man. I, I gotta talk. I gotta. You that's can't. What we're, that's what we're all here for. <laughs> yeah, we're all here for for our own Lambos. So, like, you see all these YouTubers like standing in front of their Lambos, saying like, "If you follow me on YouTube, you'll have a Lamborghini in a year." You know all that kind of stuff. Tell me about. I mean, that's it's cool. That's really cool. So, just tell me about like your your dream of having a Lambo. I, I was talking to your brother about it a little bit. You got one. I mean, how's what? How's that feel getting everybody staring at you when you're driving around all the time? And what's that like? Um, you know, I've wanted one ever since I was a kid. The, the, the Diablo came out in 1991, and I was like five, and I was like, one of these days, I'm gonna have one of those cars. And then I remember I was in high school whenever the Gallardo came out, which is what I have now, and I was reading about it in a either a car and driver or a motor trend. And I was, I was tucked in the corner of the classroom with my magazine. The teacher came over and took my magazine and. and you know, tore my butt for, for looking at a magazine in class. And I was thinking like, one of these days, I'm going to bring this back to school. You, you wait. Um, I ended up not That's awesome. That. It could have yeah, been like a playboy or something. I mean, like, yeah, right. you know, tear him up for looking at a car. I mean, let the kid look at a car. Jeez. <laughs> Our school was weirdly strict. They actually, if you got in enough trouble, they would actually paddle you in the hallway. Um, I can't imagine <laughs> that still being acceptable. But they would, they would, the principal would come around, he'd march a kid around, he'd open the door to the classroom and he'd show you who he had. And then he'd go out in the hallway and paddle them so you could hear them just screaming. Um, so our school was weirdly strict for a public school. But yeah, so I always wanted the Lambo. Um, and I, I've just always been a car guy like my whole life. Um, it, it, I would I would be willing to have nice cars and live in a trailer and, and or a tent or whatever. Um, like those are my priorities. But ended up finding this this car um, in pieces. Uh, these are they're a really popular car to build the two thousand plus horsepower, making like these half mile drag cars. And some guy fairly close to us had this car and was disassembling it supposedly to do that with and had a large disagreement with the IRS, and they took his car and auctioned it. <laughs> um, so I bought it in a million pieces. The, the pistons were in a box. Like, this thing was in as many pieces as it could possibly be, and I was like, I'm going to put this thing back together. So me and my business partner, Saxon, we got this car, and we spent a while, and we got it all put back together, and now it's, it's great. I mean, it's it's worked flawless. I love the thing. Um, and so not only do you have a Lamborghini – you friggin' built it. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's like that's like the ultimate like big dick man move right there. Like you can't beat that. That's like I got a I got a Lamborghini and I'm good enough with cars to have built it for from scratch. Like, okay, I get it. I I'm backing up here. You win. You're you're the bigger man than I am. It's uh it, it's definitely an interesting car to drive. It's it's a ton of fun. Um 
but it is weird because it it doesn't help that it's bright yellow and incredibly loud it shoots fireballs like and in central kentucky there really aren't many of them so you drive it anywhere and people don't know what it is and everybody's like love your ferrari you know no one knows <laughs> what it is they all, it, it does get just non-stop attention in some regard good bad ugly being in central Kentucky, every third person you meet has a diesel truck and they all rev it at you as they go past all of them. You just, you, you can't pass the Lambo and not blacksmith it. Every time. Yeah. Um, Maybe you should uh, but, move out to Des Moines and uh, they're probably, that's probably every car there is out there, right, Mike? It's just Lamborghinis and Ferraris yeah. everywhere. Yeah. 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 That's you, what I've you see heard. them all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I think so. It's uh it's definitely an attention getter. Um sometimes good, sometimes not. One of the things that has actually been interesting about it, and this goes back to the the light that gets like, we've had a decent amount of people come up and say, Man, I love this car, what do you do? And you tell them you're a real estate investor and you know, they may know somebody or themselves have some extra money and they're interested in investing. We we have raised a lot of money um, over the last couple of years from private investors. And, and sadly and shockingly, that car has played a role in that. Yeah, I'm sure it has. I mean, if I see somebody driving a Lambo, I'm going to be in I'm going to be at least a little intrigued about what they're doing and want to get in on some of that. So, yeah. Um. So, all right. Well, you've listened to our podcast before, Justin. So, yeah. uh, we always do some dad jokes, right? I mean, we gotta can't be the Stocks and Sandals podcast without dad jokes. So, Mike, uh, forget you. I'm gonna give Justin the first honors. Oh, rolled you so hard just then. Look at that. I, oh, <laughs> I love you, <laughs> no, Justin. He has a Lambo. <laughs> Mike, yeah. there, there's a chance I'm gonna blow right past you. You may end up dropping the third best friend. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Give me rides in the Lambo, and Mike is gone. It will. You might um, just be the co-host from now on. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have... All right. So, what dad jokes you got for us, Justin? Uh, my dad has always had some some cheesy jokes, and I would say two of my favorites. Um, and, and the first one being one that me and my brother still reference on a regular basis to this day. John is actually the one that got me listening to your podcast, and me and him just crack up about this all the time. We were at the beach one time, and all of us were sitting in this and this attractive girl walked by, and my dad said, "Must be jelly, cause jam don't shake like that." <laughs> well, we had neither one ever heard that, so that is something we we're both like, "What? What is he talking about?" He was blown away that we've never heard it. So, anytime me and my brother see an attractive girl out, that is the quote that always comes out. Um, there you go. I like it. And then another really cheesy dad joke that my dad would always hit me with. It was usually after you'd hit your head on something as a kid, um, or had a headache or whatever. You could say, "Yeah, you know, my head hurts," and he'd say, "Does your face hurt?" And you'd, and you'd be kind of confused, you know, because your head was hurting. You'd be like, "No," and he'd say, "Well, it's killing me." And he loved that joke. It's your face classic. hurts. It's killing me. Yeah, it's a classic. Those, yep. those are my two my two favorite Love dad it. jokes from our dad. And then mm-hmm. I'm I'm in the same boat as Mike. Yeah. I don't have any kids myself, so I haven't started started making up these cheesy lines yet. DJ's wow. in the minority. <laughs> we have our first episode recorded with where I am yes. in the minority that I am, am a am father. I the first wow. Dad on, on the I show? Think, think you might I think be. So. Odoo rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and that's why you have a Lamborghini. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will never have one because all of my Lamborghini money goes to diapers and dips. So no, I'm just, uh, all right, Mike, what do you got for us? This better be good or else you're no longer my co-host. You were, uh, you were bragging about your, uh, dad jokes. Why don't you go first? Uh, mine aren't okay. that great this, mine aren't that great this time. Okay. I actually have a lot of, a lot of them, so I'm going to have a tough time really choosing, but Okay. <laughs> This one just cracks me up. <laughs> this one cracks me up. All right. So why didn't Batman have super vision? Why? His parents are dead. <laughs> oh, that's so dark. <laughs> oh, that I love that one. 
<laughs> the first time I read it, like I literally like was like wheezing for like five minutes straight. <laughs> so yeah, that's <laughs> I finally uh, have a good one, and I was like so that excited was a about good it. One. I like you. I'm, did you just look it up? <laughs> no, I, I'm on a. Uh, it's a different dad Facebook page, and somebody posted a dad joke thread, and I was reading through it. And when I got to that, like all the all of them were, you know, are normal ones that like make me chuckle or whatever. But that one had me yeah. straight up like wheezing for <laughs> minutes on end. So. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Should have let me finish, Mike, because now yours is definitely going to be a disappointment. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, okay, so I have one. So, uh, did you know that I always knock on the fridge door before I open it, DJ? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just in case the salad's dressing. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually a good one. See, you're you're so you've set the bar so high for yourself that like you you think you don't have good ones, but they're still much better than than I expect. So. Yeah, oh, I, man. I actually forgot I had that one. I had a I had a couple that my, my friends gave me, and then uh, I remembered I had some other ones tucked away in People my back People are just pocket. so clever when they come up mm. with these. Just so that Batman joke. I mean, if you had given me a thousand yeah. guesses on the answer, I would have not gotten there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love yeah. it. It's all about how you read it because if you read it the wrong way, it's yeah, I was obvious, like but... supervision. It's like there's going to be some kind of dumb Superman. That was my thought too. Joke yeah. here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it yep. just gets super. Oh, uh, all right. So. <laughs> oh man. All right. So we, you have a partner, yeah. Justin, that you said kind of focuses more on like some of the taxes, the paperwork, like the um the boring parts of this yeah. no i'm just kidding um but the parts that are actually i mean th those parts are are also super important and i'd really love to have him on for another episode down yeah. the road to kind of dive in a little bit more into this subject because i think that you know we we're stock dads right is the but we're all about any type of investments so um this is definitely a big one that i think will interest a lot of people it interests me and mike a lot as well so i definitely want to talk more um, with you guys down the road about some of the other details that go into this and some of the other maybe uh, less uh, exciting, but also still really important parts of this. Um, you know, so if, if you're cool with that, I'd love to have you guys. Yeah, back absolutely. On. I, uh, I made sure to let him know that I was actually going to refer to him as my secretary on this podcast today <laughs> um, and let him know that he could only be on it if I invited him later. But um, yeah, he, uh, he's done a lot of the fundraising. He does pretty much all of the banking. Um, he certainly knows way more about the taxes than I do. I pretty much just want to know how we can ride off a Lamborghini. And as it turns out, that's harder than it sounds. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he can definitely answer a lot of good questions there. I mean, you know, we, we both stay pretty interactive in, in what the other one does, but you know, at this point, um, all of the, the purchases I have made and a good portion of the money raised he has done. So, um, we our, our kind of job separation is he raises money and I spend it and he says that I'm like a wife with a spending problem and uh, and I always say whenever we run out of money and can't invest anymore that it's his fault because I did my job really well and he did his poorly so um, yeah we I'm, I'm sure he'd be happy to come on and, and I'd love to be back yeah, that's awesome man well we really appreciate this yeah um just a couple of wrap up things here. You, uh, your investment company or whatever your you call yourself, REI, right? What does that stand for? Uh, that stands for real estate investment. Real estate We're, investment. Yeah, J JSP property. Oh, no, that's right. I'm such an idiot. What an <laughs> idiot! I looked at the title of your Dumbass. email, and I you have a what's the name of your investment company? JSP Properties. So I knew it was three letters. So in my head, when I saw the subject line of our emails back and forth, it said REI podcast. And I'm thinking, man, Mike, can you cut this out? I'm so done. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I on. love watching you make yourself look like an idiot. Uh, okay. I Well, I, I realized it before anybody else did. It just had already come out of my mouth. But whatever. Anyways, JSP. JSP properties, yep. So... JSP Properties. So check them out if you are interested in investing, being a private investor. Reach out. 
Uh, we'll put some information about them in the show notes as well. You can also find Justin on the Stock Dads page on Facebook, and our community is active in that as well. Um, if you're not already, make sure you join our Stock Dads page. Uh, we are also on Instagram, but I'm much lazier about posting on that than I am on Facebook. So <laughs> check us out on Facebook for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, just join the group. It's not just about stock investments, obviously. It's about any type of investing and um, just building generational wealth with one another. So uh, we have a lot of fun on that page and uh, would be happy to have you guys join. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, subscribing helps us a lot and downloading the episodes helps us a lot, not just playing them and listening to them. If you want to just listen to them, that's great but actually physically downloading them helps us. So if you just take two seconds to download them, that's what like all the pod, I don't know why I think it's really dumb to be honest, but for some reason, all these like podcasting host sites and stuff only track the number of downloads that we get, not the number of people that listen. So um, if you can download it for us, that would be really great. Uh, That would help us a ton throw a five star review on any of the platforms that allow reviewing and stuff. I think Apple podcasts allows it, which is cool. I'm doing a lot of shameless, uh, you know, plugging right now, but help us out. Okay. So, um, just join us and, uh, we will catch up with you guys soon, but, uh, until next time, I mean, you know, I guess we're out. Would you guys got anything left to chat about? We good. I've actually got one quick question for you guys. Um, the podcast that was just the two of you guys. Um, Mike, how many people did you have reach out to you about the uh, the one pickup line that you had? Was DJ's mom one of them? Uh, my mom was one of them. <laughs> my mom was one of them. <laughs> I was just curious. I was like, I wonder how many people want, want to know. And I, I was actually thinking about messaging. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, I... I'll message you if you want to know. I'd, I'd rather probably, yeah, probably I, best not to share it here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was Brenda upset with me for bringing up her name on the podcast? Um, she didn't say anything. She said she thought it was really funny though. The episode, not oh, good. what you said about not what you said about my mom. I actually really liked that episode. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I thought that episode was really funny. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. DJ has kind of been a yeah, that one was entertaining. Been a puss about it, but <sighs> whatever, man, dude. It's like people, whatever. I have a little bit of like imposter syndrome where I don't feel like people care about listening to me, and they just want to listen to our guests because they're smarter than I am and all that kind of fun stuff. But I get it. I'm hilarious. People like it. Whatever. <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> I just don't have a head the size of Mike's. That was my favorite episode. Awesome. That's actually really good to hear. Okay. Yeah. 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 See? I thought that one was really funny. Um, obviously not the most informative, but definitely the most entertaining. Well, that's really cool to hear. Thank yeah. you for swelling Mike's pride and giving me a, yeah, a glimmer needed, of hope. And, yeah. <laughs> DJ needed that I did need to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it is uh, time for us to wrap up here. So um, as always, thanks for listening. We're out. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.